Welcome to Rock Solid Ministries Frontline Servants Program, where we visit with men and women on the front lines of kingdom service. For more information about our free revival ministry or to explore more of our audio and video recordings, visit our website at www.rocksolidministries.org. Again, that's rocksolidministries.org. Today I'm visiting with Paul Hull, who preaches at the Silence. No, I said it wrong. Salettes. Salettes, <laughs> Oregon Church of Christ. I've practiced that all week before I got here, <laughs> Brother Paul. And uh, I just met Paul two days ago when Beth and I were setting up at the church in Salettes for revival. So I don't have much more of an introduction. So I'm just going to say, Brother Paul, tell us your story. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to meet you too, though. I have to say that. It's been, well, been good. Well, I grew up in far northern California, and for folks who don't know, that's way different than the rest of California. Yeah, well, very good for you. <laughs> very country. Yeah. You know, as the song once said, North California and South Alabama, country folks can't survive. And that's, that's how I grew up. It was, we were country folks. Yeah. Lived in a little town called Oak Run, so we considered ourselves Oak Run Okies. My dad was a... He, he was always bivocational, but he served in small churches around Northern California basically his whole life until he was past retirement and one of my brothers built a spot for him and my mother and they moved, uh, moved in with them. Oh. So he... Was well, that still in Northern California? No, uh, they ended up moving to uh, just north of Spokane, Washington. Okay. Uh, Three of the, three of my two of my brothers and I all offered to do the same thing, but my younger brother Pete, who's an elder at the Spokane Valley Church, um, had pine trees, and my dad loved. He grew up in the woods and loved the woods, and oh. so that's where they chose to go. But before that, his his ministry had been in small churches around Northern California, and so that and what, was. And, and, and his name and your mother's name. Uh, Marion Hall was my dad's name. He. Graduated from San Jose Bible College right. many years ago, and my mother was Ethel Hull, uh, and she and Elsie Dewelt were sisters. Don Dewelt's wife. You so, told me that the other day. That was a surprise to me. Yeah, yeah. So, so the Dewelts are definitely part of our family. And Don was from the Portland area. I remember that reading that in the book. Yeah, yeah. His family were fishermen. And Don was it. One time president of Ozark Christian College. Yes. And he had a lot to do with the starting of San Jose. Is that correct? No, he, he taught he there. Taught there. He, was, he was instrumental in starting Ozark. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And College Press Publishing. And, of course, College Press Publishing after that. Right. So I'm just connected all over the Brotherhood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, so uh, my growing up years, we were at a place called, the church was in a little town called Project City. California, north of Reading, and uh, it was a church plant that my dad had done uh, in the very late 40s, early 50s. Uh, they did that. They started a, a summer camp on my grandmother had some property up in the mountains, and he and Jimmy Phillips, who he had gone to school with, uh, started a summer camp for kids up there. Wow. So, you know, my growing up years were heavily involved in church and church activities and so on and so forth. Um, when, when it came time to go to school, I, I was sure I wanted to be a marine biologist. And so I went off to 
to college and my brother had gone, my older brother Bill had gone to Gehring, Nebraska. They had a small tree, preacher training program kind of associated with the Ottumwa folks uh, there. Ottumwa, Iowa. Ottumwa, yeah. Iowa. But I was, we were in Gehring, Nebraska and, and he wrote me a letter and he challenged me. He said, you know, he said, yeah, you could, you can keep doing what you're doing and, and all, but he said, I want to challenge you. You need, you need to go to Bible college. And so that following fall, I packed everything up in my, had my 1964 Volkswagen and a little U-Haul trailer and everything I owned. And I set off across the deserts of Nevada and Southern Wyoming. If you in a Volkswagen. To, in my Volkswagen, <laughs> in the heat, you know. Oh. Yep, yep. 255 air conditioning with the windows rolled down. Right. You know, <laughs> and uh, went off there and spent four, spent four years there. I was very blessed. I had two teachers that I just considered top of the mark. Archie Word, which many people know him. He was a he was really a traveling evangelist way back into the 30s, 40s, 50s would hold, you know, two week to two month meetings all over. He was one of my instructors. He had retired from from full-time ministry but was was still holding some meetings in the summer. And I'd, I'd like to say to our readers, and I don't remember the title of the book, but there is a biography on Archie Word that uh, that was given to me, and I've read it, and it, it is a really great book to read. It's an interesting book. It wasn't uh, Voice of Thunder, was it? Voice of Thunder, something about something. I, 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 right. I, I'll but his it. whole life experience how he came to the Lord and and how he well he went to Bible college with a flask of whiskey in his back pocket and, <laughs> and really wasn't converted really converted to his in Bible college from what I, I remember reading in the book that's correct he, he went to U, Eugene Bible College it was right. called at the time uh, I believe it was a uh, I don't know who ran that but I didn't mean to get you off. No, that's all right. I'm sorry. But I I just wanted to say to our our listeners, that is a very interesting book. If you like biographies, uh, I really recommend that. And also I would say along that same line, if you want to know about Christian churches and people coming to Oregon, Christians on the Oregon Trail is another book, if you can find them. I don't know if you can even find them anymore, but they're they're tremendous books. Uh, um, Wasn't Christians on the uh, Oregon Trail, that wasn't it Jerry Rushford that wrote that? That sounds correct. Who he was at uh, Pepperdine University for many, many years. I don't know if he still is or not. I, but I, that was his specialty of study. But that was really good. But now I got you off of that. And don't don't That's don't right. go looking for it while you're talking. <laughs> well, I'll say to our listeners, we're sitting at Paul's home that he's been building for three years up on a hilltop, and we're looking out. We can see out over. Uh, what is this place out here? It's the Yaquina River. Yaquina River. Yep. And it's just beautiful and a great place to record. And Paul's worried about that book title now. He's going to find it. <laughs> I'll find it while us. I keep talking. Uh, but anyway, uh, go ahead. Brother Word was, he was very challenging. He was, uh, you know, sometimes in those small programs, it can be the academic level can be fairly low. There's not great, and he had big expectations. Mm-hmm. You had to know the material, and he had a, what would we call it, like a didactic style of teaching. 
you walked into class and for three hours he was going to ask you questions about what you had read and you had to know the answer. Wow. And so if you get in an upper division class with only two or three people, guess what? You get every second or third question. You had to be ready, didn't you? You had to be ready. And uh, high, highly respected. The other guy that, uh, that really was instrumental in sort of pushing me in some directions that I still go was a guy named Gary Flom, who had graduated from uh, Northwest College of the Bible and then ended up back there. He was our Greek teacher, and he also taught, oh, he taught Daniel and Revelation and First and Second Thessalonians, some other things, but primarily a Greek teacher. And he was the first expository preacher I ever ran into. Instead of hammering me over the head about your television or how long your hair was or what clothes you were wearing, he would get in the Bible and go through it, chunk at a time, getting, the, getting what's out of the text. And that, that, for me, was a challenge that I finally figured out how to do it, and I've done it ever since. You know, I, I start, probably my first six to ten years, I did all topical because that's, uh, I didn't have the, the formal training that a lot of people have, so I, I learned by, by reading other people's sermons. Mm-hmm. And at that time, in the 70s, basically what you found was topical. Yes. And, and, and the sources I was using, and it was, I was in Oklahoma and decided I needed to do expository, so I announced three months out, I was <laughs> going to go through of all books, 1 Corinthians, and, and uh, starting in January. And I'm going to tell you the truth, I, I really worried over that for a while, for quite a while. And that first chapter, I could not, Paul, I, I could not find, I had a friend, Charles Hunter, that was a tremendous evangelist. And he said, Tom, you can always find three points out of a section of scripture. You can always find them. They're, they're, they're right there. Mm-hmm. And I looked and looked and looked. And, and I thought, I don't know if I can get 16 sermons out of 16 chapters because I'd never preached like that before. And you know I finally did what I do with all my sermons, and I had just gotten so caught up in it that I had to, I said, Lord, I can't do this. You're going to have to do it. And it was like I put headphones on, and the first nine verses was my first sermon. Mm. I ended up with 52 sermons on the book of 1 Corinthians. Wow. <laughs> now, a few of them I did. I jumped around to some topicals while I was sure. going through it, but, but uh, it taught me a lot. And just for the preachers listening, no one in the congregation could say, you wrote that because you wanted to preach that at me. He said, no, I was, I was on the verses before it last week, and now I'm on this verse. Yep, and so. if it hits you, that was God working, not me. Right. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Now, you but, were, but anyway, that Gary, Gary Flom, still ministering. He's one of the elders at the church in Torrington, Wyoming, and still is teaching. He's over well into his 80s now. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Very, very challenging man. And then, of course... Part of my growth, I, I got out of Bible college and I intended to do an internship at a church, but I was going to be with Gary, but he moved. He changed churches and that opportunity went away. Oh. So I ended up at a very small church in Anderson, California. And I went there because my friend Dave Reddick wanted to go to Bible college. I was not intending to go there. And he said, look, if you can come here, I want to go to Bible college. And so we swapped. And then two years yeah. later, he moved back. He took another church at Central Valley. Uh, it's called the Deer Creek Church of Christ now. Uh, he, took a, he took a position there, and then we worked together, and together we learned how to do expository sermons, which was 
You, you know who we got? Who? Charles Swindoll. We got the, huh. get this, it's old school, cassette tapes of his series on the book of James. Mm -hmm. And we had his outline. It was a printed outline you could get. And we started in on that and learned how to do it. And he continued that. He, in fact, he ministered at the Highway 20 Church of Christ in Sweet Home. It's about, oh, I don't know, 70, 80 miles from here, straight east. And he was there until uh, he got um, cancer. And he passed about, oh, eight years ago now. But uh, that's what he did for the whole time he was there, expository sermons. And so those were those impacts that really push you into to how do you, how do you expose the word of God and you know, like you said I didn't pick on anybody if the word of God is picking on me I need to listen if it's picking right. on you, you need to listen and countless times I would be thinking of different people I'm I'm just going through the word thinking of people said man this would really be good for them and it, it seemed like almost inevitable. You go to church, you get done, and people are greeting you afterwards, and you're, howdy, how you doing? And three different people that you didn't think about, had not, you didn't have them in mind at all, came to you and said, that was exactly what I needed. Yeah. And it's the Holy Spirit working mm -hmm. through the Word to challenge people's lives or to lift them up when they're down, or whatever the situation might right. be. So... Um, yeah, then I left Anderson. I ended up in a little place called uh, Wheatland, Wyoming. And it was a church that I had worked with Gary and Arlen Nichols, who are still laboring at a church in Colorado. Berthed, I think. If I, I'm not sure about the name. It's Bertha? Berthed? Berthed. Over, it's south of Greeley. Okay. North of Denver, somewhere in right. there. But I'm not sure exactly about the town. But they're still there, still working. But I had worked with them. I'm doing a church plant in that little town. I ended up going back there, and I was there for about four years before I ended up moving back to California. So when I came back to California, I, I started attending and working with a church um, in Stockton, California. Uh, at the time, I think the name was South Stockton Church of Christ. That's everybody knew it. Uh, a man named Al Danielson had been called to come there. He was up in Alaska uh, and come and minister there and try to try to. It, the church was very weak, not much going on, and so we worked together um, along with some other guys to uh, bring that church. Up. We finally we got it up to about seventy folks. The problem with Stockton is it's not a destination city. Nobody purposely goes and moves to Stockton to live there. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've actually ministered in a few towns just like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so what would happen is you, you reach people, you convert them. They've had a rough life. They, you know, this. And they kind of get on their feet and they get headed the right direction. They want to move somewhere else. And so that happened time after time after time that you build things up. Sometimes it was uh, for good. At one point, we sent uh, one family away to go to Bible college. We sent another family off to go and minister in another church. And a third family um, went on the mission field all at the same time. And the, those of us who were left were looking at each other going, what do we do here? <laughs> Some churches are just sending churches, aren't they? The, and that, that church was a sending church. We ended up 
the fellow who went to Bible college, that's Denny and Carrie Martin, um, ended up going to Guatemala. They went to, they went to Bible college up in Portland at Northwest College of the Bible. He graduated and then, uh, he, they ended up moving to Guatemala city, Guatemala established a church there that's still thriving to this day. Um, you know, we, we helped them raise money. My wife was actually their sending forwarding agent and, uh, kept in close contact with him. And then when he was done down there, we asked him to come back and be the evangelist at what had now become Mid Valley Church in Stockton. And so we did that. So it, it was a, it was a good time. Uh, it was good for me because, you know, when, when your minister has, heart, uh, what do they call it, bypass surgery, mm -hmm. and then a week later has another one and goes on the shelf for a year, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Guess what? It's yeah. time to step up. Yeah. And so at that point, I began to preach, and over the next, that was 94, so over the next 20 years, I probably preached about half the sermons at the church. For 20 years? For 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Um. And, and what were you doing other, other than that as far as a secular? Well, when I, when I had moved back from Wyoming, uh, I had gotten a job in the construction industry. I was just a gopher. I packed lumber for my brother and his partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over time you learn the trade, became a carpenter. Then I was a carpenter foreman, went to work for a commercial company. Then I was actually a superintendent. I ran multi-million dollar projects. Uh, that was what I did for a living. And it was... Uh, it was hard, but I, I've, I remember just last year I had a conversation with a guy, and I'll, I'll continue to have this conversation with young men especially that go to Bible colleges, then they get out and they go get a job, and they say, well, I, I don't have time to do ministry. And I will look any of them right in the eye and say, no, that's just the way it is. You need to put your Christian education, your training to work, and then go have a job at the same time because... So few churches, especially here in the Northwest, can afford to pay somebody full-time to be a preacher. Right. It just isn't there. It's gotten harder in the last few years. It's gotten much, much harder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the price of housing goes up. The price of gasoline goes through the roof. It, you've got to take care of your family to some degree. But the way that you serve God is you do it on top of everything else. Right. Uh, uh, I have so little patience for men who look me in the eye and say, well, I don't have time to, to write a Lord's Supper exhortation. I don't have time to write a lesson. And I will look them right in the eye and say, you get 168 hours a week just like I do. We all get exactly the same amount. And what, you, what you're not willing to do is give up. You're not willing to give up your Saturday afternoon at the lake or mm -hmm. your Saturday afternoon. Because for over 20 years... I insisted that I be sitting at my desk by noon on Saturday so that if I had to work till midnight to put 12 hours in to produce a sermon and a, and a PowerPoint, I could do that. And if I didn't get it done by midnight, then you get up at four in the morning and you put another four or five hours on yep. it and you finish it off because that's what you have to do. And you do all that and someone says, well, you preached a little long today, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put 20 hours into it and you go two minutes over and somebody gets upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, or, or they want to argue a premise with you and it's like, you know, 
put the work in. Yeah. You know, put the work in. Yeah. So uh, there are a lot of a lot of guys today that are that are leaving the ministry because they can't afford to stay in. And a lot of times it's because they've got Bible college debt that's hanging yeah. over their head. Uh, I've got family members that paid 20 years on their Bible college debt and finally got it paid off. Finally did. Uh, and that without, can I just say this, that without government help yeah. <laughs> on that. But anyway. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, that's Well, but I, but I think it speaks to something, and that is that I think that our local churches need to be training men to take on ministry. That's what we used to do. That's what we always did. Yeah. And you don't charge an arm and a leg. You know, the, the cost is you got books you got to buy and you got time you got to put in. Then you work your afternoon job so that you can get through and come out without any debt mm -hmm. so that you can serve. Right. But uh, I don't know. It just seems like they, that that vision has been lost. Well, some churches now, uh, I've interviewed two ministers the last couple of years maybe three that have preacher boy clubs in their church mm. and they're having uh, at least once a week, if not twice a week training sessions and they've got kids junior high up that they're training. And one I'm thinking of particularly down in Southern Mississippi, uh, not only has boys in there, he's got two men in his church that have families that he said, would you help me do this? But he had mm. in his mind that these guys were going to preach. And one of them now is, is preaching uh, half the time at a church down the road from that can't get a preacher. Yeah, and I think the other one may be preaching the other half the time down there. I don't know. Oh, that's but there. But that's what we've got to do. We, we've got to challenge these people. I had a yeah. a, a boy. I, you got a beautiful dog here. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna break away. What what is your dog's name? Nutmeg. Nutmeg. Nutmeg has been so peaceful and so so well behaved for us. And I'm going back to lay back in his bed. Uh, had a little boy come up to me last night. I'm going to say he was four years old. You know, I think you know who I was talking about. Yep. And, and that one's six. His brother's four. Okay, six. He came up and he stood behind me while I was sitting there. We're having that really nice dinner that Lays did last evening. And I, I got the feeling that somebody was standing by me. I turned around and he wasn't even as tall as my head sitting down. And he was real quiet and he said, um, uh, I just wanted to say I really liked listening to you tonight. And, of course, that meant more to me than, oh, sorry, you adults were listening, <laughs> than any adult. And so we talked for quite a while, and he said he had ball practice tonight. Might not be there tonight, but he he really hoped they'd be back the rest of the week. And um, I said, so what do you think you're going to do when you grow up? And he said, I don't know. I said, do you ever think about being a preacher? He said, no. And I said, well, do me a favor. And all your life growing up, every once in a while, you just say, God, would you have me be a preacher? And maybe he won't, but keep your mind open to it. Yeah. And I think we just need to plant those seeds. You know, every opportunity we get to plant the seed and plant the seed in a man who's 52 years old and thinking about taking early retirement. Mm -hmm. What about this? Yeah. Or some guy says, I just can't figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Well, maybe that's because you're trying to figure it out. Let God figure it out for you. Maybe preaching is what you're supposed to do. But grandparents and parents have so discouraged their kids and grandkids from preaching yeah. that it, it's that we've just gotten to where we're not nobody seems to be mentioning it much anymore. Well, I, I think part of the problem has been that it, it's become it's come to be viewed as a profession, 
uh-huh. rather than a calling. Right. You know, the concept of saying, you know, Pastor Rick or, or Evangelist so the people of the New Testament in the succeeding couple hundred years would have just scratched their head. At those those yeah. were not titles. Those were right. descriptions of what you did. That's right, yeah. Uh, you know, and so maybe... Maybe we ought to take to heart what Jesus said. Look, don't go for the rabbi. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go for Lord or Father or any of that stuff. Yeah. Those were titles. He said, nah, just... Just, just do what you, what you do. Yeah, just, you know, it's brother. That, that works. Brother works. You yeah. Know? And, and yet what I see, what is it that lends credibility when you go to the conference? Well... Dr. Jim and Dr. Bill and Dr. Sam. And so we're going to listen to those guys because they have a doctorate and that might be good. But I'm, I think we've strayed a little bit from Jesus' intent when we go that way. Well, I'll probably get myself in trouble for this, but I was, I was a little intimidated the first time I held a revival where the, the, the sign out front said, Dr. So-and-so, mm. you know, minister. And, and uh, because I'm just one of those fellows who slipped through the cracks and God trained him and it got out there. But I learned with that doctor, uh, uh, and I admire their education. I, I do, and I appreciate they've got an education. They know, in some areas, they know a whole lot more than me. But I walked away scratching my head saying, this man really knows nothing about being a minister mm-hmm. I, in a local church. I, I, just the time I spent with him, real fine person, but he had no idea about what he was doing there, mm-hmm. though he knew a whole lot of Bible. But that doesn't always make a difference. Having the titles doesn't always make the difference, you know. Right, right. And I, I'm, I used to always tell people, just call me Tom. Yep. I'm... So I, I am an evangelist Yeah. because that's what I do. I've always reached people for Christ. I have become, I've had to, I've had to transition into becoming a revivalist. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, it is harder to raise the dead than to give birth. <laughs> and, <laughs> and evangelism is giving birth, and revivalist is raising the dead. Yeah. But I feel like this is where God has put me in my life now. Although, thankfully, the Lord allows me to be a part of reaching some people for Christ for the first time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, it's pulling people back to life and and giving them re- yeah. resuscitation through the Word of God. <laughs> And that's a little tougher. Well, I mean, if you look at Jesus' ministry, that's primarily what it was. Yeah. Was he's, he's appealing to people who are just going through the motions of religion and saying, look, you know what, let, wake up, let's go here, you know. Right. The, the, you know, his last time, that would be the next last time he was in Jerusalem, you know, when he's, he said, you know, come and drink, you know, got some good water here, you know. <laughs> Because people were thirsty, but they didn't know how to get water, you know? Isn't that the truth? And you, do you find, I find that people who sit in the pew every Sunday and, and, and God bless them for being there, they walk away a lot of times not knowing any more than they did when they walked in. Mm-hmm. Our, people's attention span is what it used to be and their minds wander. And you really, if you want to learn from God's word, you have to focus and say, I, I tell people, you need to pray before you come in on Sunday morning. I pray before I come in, before I preach. You need to pray before you come in. Mm-hmm. God, I'm, I'm getting ready to listen. Would you 
put everything else out of my mind so I can just hear your word and, and take it into my heart and then make a decision what I'm going to do with it. Well, but I, I think some, yes, people, people need to do that. But I think those of us who stand up and teach are sometimes at fault. Well, I can I, agree I mean, with that. I mean, if you're trying to feed people, you know, grits with no salt and no butter, after a while, <laughs> it's just, you know, they're going to turn up their nose and I don't blame them. I'm laughing because all of a sudden you you, you waxed southern on us. <laughs> Grits. No uh, salt and butter. That's, I wouldn't eat them for like that for nothing. No. They're not good. <laughs> and and uh, and that's good. I'm going to use that, brother. Oh, go for that, it. That's uh, don't, don't preach without salt and butter on your grits. I like well, that. I mean, you were talking last night about that we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to have something that makes things tasty for people. I had a friend. He, he talked about it this way. He said, look. Don't brown bag the gospel. Don't put it in there with a peanut butter sandwich and no jelly on it. You know, no, we don't need to do that with the gospel. Right. I mean, it's ribeye steak and baked potato, you know, but we need to present it that way. And if, I believe that if we, if we preach like we don't believe what we're preaching, then the people who are listening aren't going to believe it either. No. And no. I have to... If I don't believe what I preach, I'll not be preaching. And that's just that's just how I feel. No. I've I've got to believe that this is this is truly God breathed, God's word that He directed in my preparing this message, and that He is going to take it to the hearts of the listeners for to affect change. Mm -hmm. And and if I don't believe that, I, I don't need to be preaching. Yeah, I've got to believe in the power of God's word. Right. So anyway, where did I leave off? Oh, I left uh, off you were going to Stockton. Tw 20 years in Stockton. Right. And right. actually, I ended up spending 30, I think it was 33, I figured out the other day, 33, 35 years there. 20 of those years, I got to sit under the teaching of a man named Alton Danielson. And he is probably the finest expositor I ever got to listen to over a long time. Uh Anybody that can do expository series from the book of Deuteronomy or Ezekiel and make it interesting, he's got to be pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> and he did. He was, he would, he would, he just really challenged me to up my game. And I still remember the first time I could preach three sermons from the same passage, all different, all true. It was one, of, it was a parable, is what it was about. Yeah. One of the Jesus parables. And, but it was because of him and his influence on me. So here I am, you know, I'm already a preacher, right? And right. so I'm going there and I just, I really worked as an associate under him. Uh, you know, I took on Sunday evenings and, and he focused on Sunday mornings. And then he was a good evangelist too. He's a good soul winner. And um, I, I didn't say that about my dad though either. I should have mentioned a little more about him. Yeah, One of my yeah. earliest memories, if... Anybody out there knows about the old Jewel Miller film strips? I've, I've got them on, uh, on my computer as we speak. Do you? I, I sure I, do. I'd like to have them because they were tremendous, but I still remember, I have memories of him packing uh, a 35 millimeter film projector <laughs> and a screen to people's homes. And, and, and the tape player. Well, no, this was pre that. This was oh, my way God. back in the early 60s. You had a booklet. And you right. would sit at the table and work your way through the booklet while you watch this, oh. these uh, film strips. I've used the booklets, but I also use them with a cassette tape. Yeah, see, we did. And we I've did. packed all that in and carried it in the home, set up the projector. 
And you know what? People become Christians. We can, we can, and I know people who did, help <laughs> Jewel Miller film strips. <laughs> yeah. But people became Christians. In one town of 3,000, I baptized over 90 people using Jewel Miller film strips. And yet they've fallen into... Uh, you I mean, can get them on a flash drive now. and we, They were available on DVDs for a while, so you could plug them in and people could watch them on their own television. I thought about this week. I'm going to tell you while we're on, on, on here speaking. I thought about this week. I've just had them for a short time, and we were going to start offering a morning class with those during revivals if anybody wanted to come. So mm -hmm. you see if two or three people showed up. Yeah. If I get back here again, I'll do it. Greg has the same set. We both got a set of them because Greg said he found them, and we said we we need to have these and and try th to show them. I think that'd be good because the the beauty of it is people who really don't know that much about the Bible can sit down with somebody and say, "Well, let's look and see what the Bible's about." Right. You know, and that's that's really the whole gist it just of it. Takes you those. Uh, God the, has a plan. Yeah. There's yeah. a plan. Patriarchal, Start. mosaic, uh, the whole thing in Christian age. And, and uh, there, every time I, I watch those, I, I realize how brilliantly they were put together. Mm -hmm. Now, if you see them today, you're going to say, oh, my goodness, those pictures from the 1960s, that family sitting there and that hair and that dress and everything. But they still tell you the truth. That's right. And they're still well written. And I, I believe there is a place that, that they can be used today. So I, I think I so. Well, people yeah. watch old movies. People yeah. watch old television. People still watch Leave It to Beaver and right. and uh, you know. Well, you can hook them up, Andy, and Andy through your Griffith and all that right. through through your your PowerPoint or through your projector or your TV at church. Uh, you get the flash drive, you plug it in, and you say today's class is going to be this. We're going to have a discussion afterwards, <laughs> and and explain to them the era in which it was written. Just like you would ex explain to them that uh, the old movie Sergeant York was written about World War One, sure, you know, something like that, yeah, yeah. and situations, and it was different from today, and it's not going to look like like a movie you'd see today. And I, I, I say, any way, anything you can use to teach the gospel, and and to help people understand. And I, I'm going to be honest with you, using those films, I I learned a great deal. Mm -hmm. They taught me a whole lot. And made me a better evangelist. Yeah, and I, I use lines that I heard from those t tapes even today when I'm sharing. Somebody asking a question, uh, I talk about road maps and where you're located, mm -hmm. and and wherever you're at on that road map tells how close you are to where you want to be and how close you are to where you want sure. to be in heaven. Great, great stuff. Sure. Well, anyway, that, that my dad was a he was an evangelist. We lived in the country. And he would stay in town on a cot in a back room at the church building so that he could go out in the evenings and, and share the gospel with people. Wow. So, yeah, he, he worked uh, as a surveyor for the city of Reading. And then uh, we lived in the mountains and took care of the garden and canned green beans and all that stuff that we did growing up, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he made it work. And he was, he was very dedicated to it. And I, I learned from that. I learned... You know, when when God needs you to do something, you don't say no. You don't say, I'm tired. You don't say, well, maybe next week. It needs to be done today. It's going to get done today because that's what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, you look at the example of the Apostle Paul, and I, I think especially of he, he'd been chased out of Philippi. 
He'd been chased out of Thessalonica. He'd been chased out of Berea. He went to Athens and got mocked something terrible there, although there were a few people who responded. He ends up in, ends up in Corinth, and he's so down in the dumps from just working himself to nothing that God sent an angel to encourage him because he was ready to quit. But I think God had that in mind for him. Look, you need to go to work. And that's what he said. Don't, don't quit. Send an angel to strengthen him. He said, I got a lot of people in the city and need you to go back to work. Well, that God's saying that to us. Yeah. You know? He's saying it to us. Go to work. Things need to be done. Go yes, work. it's hard. Do it anyway. Well, that's what we were called. Uh, I've, I've been telling people in the last few years that, that we were called to this ministry. What evangelism teaching it is expected of us in this family it's we're not the exception to do it is expected of us mm -hmm. and uh, i've even taken to telling people to buck up buttercup because <laughs> you know they're all the whining and complaining about not having oh, time yeah. can i call now, you a wambulance right yeah, yeah, that's right <laughs> let's let's just you know let's just say you signed up for this you know you made this choice to sign up for this when you accepted christ to to serve in in the kingdom so let's get to it Let's get to it. Let's, let's quit thinking that kingdom living in Christianity is one hour on Sunday morning. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. And, and us doing nothing during that hour. Yeah, just sit there, yeah. consume. Well, and I, I'm especially, the, the way so many church services are structured now, it's performance. Mm -hmm. And I know you've seen it. Oh, yeah. We've, you, we've I remember that a lot. going to visit a church. We'd never been there before. We got there about... Five minutes, we were on the road and we got there five minutes later and I walked in the back and I could not even see where to sit down. It was so black in that place. <laughs> it, 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 it's like, what? That happened to Beth and I just, just about a month ago. And uh, now this was not a performance style church. This, this one, they were showing a video. The kids had been to a youth conference and they were showing mm -hmm. the video and it was all dark in there. But it was funny that, 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 a minister was standing right there and here we were like, you know, he'd never met us and we're standing there and walking in this dark room and we couldn't even see the chairs in front of us. Oh yeah. And finally a lady came from somewhere that could see in the dark and, and said, do you have, are you looking for anyone? We said, no. She said, well, let me show you to a seat. And that was wonderful. Yeah. We appreciated that. But we've been in those churches that it's a performance and where it's but that, smoke screens and oh yeah, smoke pots and flashes and and, and you know, I enjoy a concert as much as anybody. I'll go see Trans-Siberian Orchestra at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You know, with all of that. But I'm not sure that's what God's called us to. No, and I believe, you, you know, I'm, our listeners, I'm sorry if we've discussed this before. <laughs> but I, I believe all this, all this flash and performance we were told for a long time, well, we've got to do that to draw in the young families. Well, the ones who said that were the baby boomers. And I came to a conclusion some time ago, it was the baby boomers that wanted it. And, and that's why we have it. Because I know in churches, I know of young people in college age who've come home to a church that's transitioned to very much a performance style. Mm -hmm. And they just looked around and said, I don't like this. And, and they've gone and they have found an old line denominational church 
that is very structured and liturgical, and that's where they've gone. Yeah. And I believe that, uh, I, as a matter of fact, I talked to a young man, interviewed a young man more than a year ago who studied all of this, and he's, he's in his 20s, and he said, people my age, that they don't want to be part of a group text. They're tired of that. And, of course, we all know that they're not on Facebook so much anymore. Nope. That's all. Uh, that's uh, gray-haired like us. That's who's on Facebook yeah, now. Yeah, and so our ministry's on there because we have to reach these people. Yeah. and I just soon be off of it. But he's what he pointed out, and I and I've I've really watched for this. I believe he's right. He said if someone my age or even nineteen to to twenty nine to thirty five, they walk into the church building, they don't care. They think that the smoke pots and and the spotlights and the color lights, they think it's a waste of money. Now, if you've got people who play a band, well, that's fine, that's good, that, that's okay. They don't mind that. Mm -hmm. But what, that's not going to bring them back. If they walk in and you're, you've got one pianist and one song leader and, or no pianist and, and you're struggling to sing a cappella or with something on a, on a computer, that doesn't, that's not what they're looking for. If somebody walks up to them and says, would you like to sit with me? That's what they're looking for. Someone mm. will say, come over to our house or go out and eat with us. Yeah. And, and uh, hey, we're having a get together at the house. They want a relationship. They've had enough computer. They've had enough uh, of, of handheld you know, devices. They want to talk to somebody. face. They want to know that you really do care about them and they could yeah. care less, really, it's low, low, low on their priority, the style of music you have or how good it is. I mean, that we, we will all want to do well when we're praising God. Uh, I'm not saying do a lousy job of it. No. We all, we, we, we all, anything we do for the Lord should be first class, the best we can do. But that's not what they're after. They're after a relationship. And one with me could lead them to a relationship that they really need with, with Jesus. With Jesus, yeah. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. But here again, if we've been leaders in the church and we don't have what we should have, the responsibility is ours. It is, yeah. You know, I just, it's just been reading Ezekiel and he told him, he said, look, you're the watchman and you blow the horn and they don't listen, that's on them. But if you didn't blow the horn and you didn't warn, you didn't do your job, it's on you. Right. And so... It's easy, I think, for us as we get older to point the finger and say, it's, it's those kids. But I think you're right. It's us baby boomers yeah. that have led us down that path or allowed it or right. however you want to characterize I, it. You know? I, I look back and, and on my last ministry, and I see the tremendous mistakes. We were growing, and we were reaching people, and that was good, and we were giving them the gospel. But we were also going the, just going the wrong direction, I, and I see it. Not biblically, you know, but in the style and the things we're doing, uh, you know, the old adage that what you win them with is what you win them to. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that that's true. I, I would recommend another book for our readers. Now, I, I don't like romance novels. I'm not one of these guys, okay? <laughs> but th this lady is a Christian romance novelist. She's written two novels that I've read because my wife or another preacher said, you need to read. I said, okay, I, Christian romance novelist. Okay, I'm going to read it anyway. And it's Francine Rivers. I've heard the name. I she, think my wife's read her Well, the, the book 
two books I'd recommend. The first one is not going along with this conversation, but I'm going to say it's, it's called The Last Sin Eater. And it is uh, back, takes you back into Appalachia. And, uh, and it, it's customs based on the, uh, Scotland, I think, or came over about someone who would come down when someone dies. They would bring them on, on the door of their cabin, lay them out uh, on a pile hmm. and, and lay food around them. And this person that no one would look at would come out of the woods and feast on the food that was around this person. And everybody turned their back on them because you couldn't look upon this person because they were taking on the sins of them. Interesting. Well, in this particular book, Evangelist comes into the valley. And it's, it, it's really a good book for someone who wants to who wins souls and is interested. It is a novel, but it's good. But the one that I'm recommending going along with our discussion here is and the shofar blue, you know, the trumpet, the mm -hmm, shofar, mm -hmm. and the shofar blue, B L E W, by Francine Rivers. And it talks about a church that was dying, brought in a young man whose father was well known, and he takes them through this whole process of, of becoming a mega church, but in a worldly way. And the, and the final uh. destruction and fall of that church, and in it, when I read it, I saw some of myself in that, and I didn't like it. And and I now I wasn't fully wholehearted in the direction they were going, but I saw that, and I realized. And our this, partner, brother Greg, would say the same thing that in his growing last ministry that was growing, mm -hmm. he sees some of that. And what was the second book you mentioned? Say it again. The first word is and a n d. Okay. The shofar blue. blue. By Francine Rivers. And for our listeners, he's typing that all in on his phone, right? <laughs> so he doesn't miss that. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, it's good when you meet a new brother because you've got so many things to define. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had, uh, so far, we've been around each other for a day and a half, and we've had about 50 quarter conversations because <laughs> we'll get a quarter of the way in and then it goes off. It goes some, another direction. Another well, rabbit trail. Now, 30 years in Stockton. Yeah. There, is there a little over 30 years? Uh, eventually, the church called three of us, my brother, my younger brother John and I, and another fellow named Rick Price to become elders there. And we, we went through some serious training on what we should be doing. Good. There's, good. There's, some, there's some very good work, actual workbooks and books out there. I would recommend it to any church. I don't, I, I don't even have the title in front of me. Uh, written by a Presbyterian fellow and a church, the church where he was, that they were very serious about the presbytery, which is the eldership, and goes straight through everything that we should be doing and how, he explained how they did it, what they did, um, trying to do it biblically. And uh, so they, they set us aside to be, to be elders and Rick ended up having to move for family issues, eventually came back when we moved he had come back, and he's now one of the elders there, he and my brother and another fellow uh, at the church. Because where that ended up is we ended up merging. Just as I was getting ready to leave, I was very uncomfortable leaving the church, but I had to for health reasons. I could not breathe the air in the Central Valley, California during fire season. I mean, mm. it put me in the hospital. It was that bad. And, and so... Uh, one of the last things I did was help them merge with another church that didn't have any leadership. We had some leaders. We had a bad location. 
We ended up selling our building and then put that money into fixing up the facility that they had. And, and it's, uh, they have a going concern now. Good. But, but uh, yeah, that was a good thing. But I have to tell you about coming here. I, my wife and I had taken trips two different summers uh, going up the California coast, which we would have preferred to stay there. So the weather's a little milder. But average people can't afford the California coast. Right. One acre in Watsonville, California, which your cousin lives there, right on Monterey Bay or, you know, just inland. One acre, $1 million. Mm. And we went, well, that's kind of out of reach. You know? <laughs> <laughs> even selling our house, that, that, even if we could buy the land, you can't build on it. So, so we started searching north and checking out churches and, and we were praying about it. And after our second summer trip, uh, we had a very serious conversation. I told her, I said, look, because our youngest son lives there and she wanted to stay close to baby boy, who's at the time about 27, but still baby boy. Yeah. And I, I understand that and I have sympathized. I did too. But I told her, I said, look, I'll stay here with you. We, we liked the little town we lived in. We liked our home. We, th there was a lot of, we loved the church where we were and we worked well with that church. But I said, I have to leave or I'm going to die. That's, I said, I, don't, I can't put it any plainer than that. So we have to make a choice. What are we going to do? And we committed to pray about it. The very morning that we had that last discussion, I got a phone call from Doug up here and said, I know you guys visited up here. Would you be interested in coming up here, helping out with the church? Huh. And we looked at each other and went, did God just answer our prayer before we got it out of our mouth? We hadn't even prayed about it yet. We just said, we're going to pray about this. This is, God, this is what we want to do. And so in my mind, we moved up here to buy a piece of property, which is considerably cheaper, you know, uh, less than 10% of what would it cost for an acre down there. We got almost two. And... So my idea was move up here, build a house, and gradually get involved with the church work here. And God had a different idea. He had us here so that when the last preacher felt like he just couldn't do it anymore, he's even older than I am. Um, <laughs> Which is not ancient, I'll, I'll say, looking at it. You don't look like you're an ancient well, person. what year did you graduate high school? I graduated in 75. Well, see, you're five years younger than I am. Oh. Well, then you really are old, aren't you? I am old. <laughs> 1970. But, but um, the Apostle Paul talked about being compelled to speak. He said, I can't, I can't stay silent. I can't do it. And I don't know, is it my own personal psychological demons? I can't let the church go without teaching if I have the ability and I've got a thousand sermons in my, in my laptop computer, right? I can't do that. If they weren't in the computer, I couldn't do it. Right. If my computer fell in the ocean, I couldn't do that. I would still feel compelled because God gave me the ability. He's given me the training. I can, I know how to do it and the church needs it. Guess what? That's what you got to do. And so uh, 
people around town at, well, were you the pastor at the church there? And I said, well, I'm kind of the accidental pastor because I want to speak their <laughs> language to them. I'm not comfortable because that's not really my role. I've been a pastor, but, but I, that's, you know, I, it wasn't my intention. It's what God worked out. And so that's why we are where we are today. We're here and uh, the house is getting done. Took about a year and a half longer than I thought it would. Because <laughs> and you're basically building it yourself. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Well, my no, my my wife. You can see how far off the ground these rafters are up there. Yeah. Um, she helped me put every one of those rafters up. Wow. I was up on top on a scaffold. She was down here wrestling the other end of a sixteen foot two by twelve to help set it on the wall till we could get it screwed in place. And, Oh my never, goodness. never heard her complain once about how hard the work was ever. Oh. And it's not her first love. She's not a builder. She hasn't. She has no interest in learning any of this stuff. But she did, and she's proud of it. When she learned how to grout tile, and now it's like yeah, I can grout tile. <laughs> so I've got a lot of work to be done at my house. You want to come down to Mississippi sure. in a few weeks? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well. I, so, I had people come and help me. It, God blessed us in so many ways. I have a friend who lives in Northern California. He's made three different trips up here. My brother came down from Spokane, Washington, two different times, spent extended time here. A fellow that I dig with in, because I do archaeology, I mentioned that to you. Right. Uh, Doug with in Jordan. He's an elder in a church in Virginia, retired FBI. And he saw pictures when my brother and his partner were here. We were framing master bedroom roof. He saw those pictures and he sent me a note on Messenger and said, Paul, I'd really like to come out and help you. Would that be all right? And so Mark Kime came all the way here from Virginia, paid his own way. Wouldn't, wouldn't, I mean, I tried to, we tried to put him up. Nope, I got a hotel. I'm fine. And spent a full week here helping me on the house. Wow. We have other friends from the dig that they have. Uh, it's a couple of their kids live here close by and came over and spent helping me wrestle floor joists, 16 inch floor joists that just heavy as lead. So God's blessed us in, in many, many ways. Um, well, I think He's blessed the church too to have you here. And, and you've got some wonderful people in the church that are very sound biblically. Mm-hmm. And I had the feeling they were that way even before you got here. Yeah. But that's and that's why they wanted you here too. But they are. Uh, we we just falling in love with them. To just and we've only been with them one day, Sunday, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, great. So we had a, a we had a good number of visitors last night. We did. Pete, your people really got out, and and uh, I don't know that we didn't have more last night than we had in the morning. We did. We had thirty one last night. Yeah. In the morning, it was not not that many. One of the ladies you met, Donna, um, personally, I mean, I, I put out advertising on Facebook because we broadcast our services on Facebook and we reach an amazing number of people. I, I just, I, I've seen people from all over the world check in. Hey, yeah, saw it. Yeah, it was good, you know, or whatever. But she reached out personally to people that had either been here, had been converted here, have left or they're moved away or what and invitants that's where some of those people came from was her efforts yeah those those invites were really uh, i've been amazed we've been to some very small churches and the people went to work and invited over 400 people to revive they didn't all come we wouldn't have put any piece to put if they had but they really used that and mm-hmm. we need to use every means that we have 
even if we're getting tired of them, some of those means, like we talked about earlier. Sure. Uh, but if they work, if they reach people, that's right. We have to. We yeah, have to. We do have that. to. Every means. Um, we've got really about four minutes left. It's gone very quickly. I knew it would. I told Beth, <laughs> we're not going to have. I'm not going to have any problem with Paul trying to stretch an hour out of this. <laughs> but uh, a question I like to ask, and I'm not giving you much time to answer it. Three point question. You can take one, two, or all three. Combine them, however. What do you see as the greatest challenges facing the church, individual Christians, or the ministry going forward for today? Well, we've already talked about the ministry a good deal. Right. Uh, we've, we've got way too many men and even women who have been formally trained in Bible that are not using it. Or they're right. teaching a kid's Sunday, canned kid's Sunday school lesson. They're right. just regurgitating something that's already there. So... Part of that is get to work, take the challenge. Yes, it's scary. Yes, you put yourself on the line, do it. Just get to work. Right. Uh, I, I, I can't say it any plainer. Um, as far as challenges for the church, I don't know which way it's gonna head. Um, right now, um, if Canada is an indicator which way we're going, mm. we can be put in jail for saying what the Bible says because there are ministers in Canada who have been jailed for saying that homosexuality is oh, sin. Yeah. Well, we're not that far behind. No. And so I think that there's going to be challenges, and they may be good for us because they're going to make us take a stand, but mm -hmm. I think there's going to be challenges for the church at large to stand up for what the Bible says. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that we should be, what was that church, the... The Baptist Church, Hills, uh, Hillsboro Baptist, or something. They would go to funerals of servicemen. Oh, yeah. Those people. It was terrible. It was horrible. I don't mean that. We should not be that way. No. We should not be unloving to LBGQT, whatever. Right. And we're not supposed to be unloving. But on the other hand, we cannot back away from what God's word says. That's right. That's right. And. And we've had this challenge of government telling us when and how we can meet, even saying, well, now you can meet, but you can't take communion. That was officials in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing what's happening. But as I've been saying a lot the last couple of years, it's time to climb out from under your pews, quit hiding down there, yep. and take a stand for, for Christ. And I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I am 100% with you. that That's one of the biggest challenges we have ahead. And one that we've not had in this country, and I've said for a long time there's going to be a sifting, and I'm sure see, we're sure seeing that uh, in the last couple of years. We'll see it even more if the pressure gets worse, and I think it it, it probably will. Well, but I, I think that we need, you used the term sifting. That's a reference to Peter. Yeah. But you remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, Satan asked to sift you. Right. Peter was so valuable to the kingdom. God had his eye on him, was protecting him. And Satan had to ask permission to do that. We need to be so valuable to the kingdom of God that Satan has to ask permission to sift us. And then praise God for the opportunity to suffer for the case of Christ. Yeah. Well, Brother Can Paul, we do it? I'm sorry. It's been great to have you. Uh, we could go on for another hour. A lot of guys I talked to, we could do that. But I've sure. got to, we got to get off. Okay. Uh, thank you for sharing with us and this great conversation.
Well, thank you for being here. It, it, we've, I appreciate it already, and we got three more nights to go. That's right. <laughs> and uh, listeners, if this has been of value to you, if this has been a blessing, please share this with your Christian friends and coworkers in Christ. And until next time, this is Evangelist Tom Weaver saying goodbye, and may God pour down his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain. Ha, ha, ha.